before we uh, jump in this morning, we're going to be in a, a, f- a few different verses this morning. I'll have those up on the screen with page numbers, but if you have a Bible uh, or you want to grab one of the Bibles on the chairs in front of you, I invite you to do that. The first place we're going to be starting this morning is in the book of 1 John chapter 3. So that's going to be toward the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 3, um, and uh, we'll have a page number up here in just a moment for you if you're using the, uh, the Bibles from the chairs there. Um, so this morning, I, I mentioned in the email that I sent out this week that I wanted to give a little bit uh, more focused attention to parenting today. Uh, there's certain topics I want to I try to preach on every, at least once every year, one of those being parenting. Uh, but disclaimer here, um, I'm not going to give a how-to sermon on parenting. I'm, I've got kids that are six down to 12 days. I don't know how to, you know. Some of you should be up here giving the how-tos. Um, so that's not my approach this morning. Uh, rather, what I wanted to do is bring us to the Bible, see what the Bible has to say uh, about um, God, actually, and then how that should shape our parenting. That's the direction I'm going, just so you know, in case that wall was put up there, because I know some of you have kids my age or older, and so it might be hard for you to sit and listen to a parenting sermon from some young buck like me. Um, so um, the other thing I want to say to you this morning is if you're not a parent, please don't check out. My goal to, to, uh, to, in preaching this morning and in each Sunday is that I don't exclude anyone. In fact, what I'm going to try to do this morning, and you're going to see this real early on, that this is going to apply to you regardless of where you are, parent uh, or not. It's going to apply to you, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to help, help you see that. So please don't check out. There's something here uh, for you on that as well. Um, as a parent, six-year-old down to 12-day-old, um, I parent sometimes out of pride. Maybe, maybe you've been there. I, I parent sometimes out of fear. You know, um, there are times where uh, I get mad at my kids because they didn't perform in public like I expected them to perform in public. And that embarrasses me. That's parenting out of pride. Uh, there are times where I parent out of fear, fear of what others think of me if my kids say something wrong. And any of you who have spent time around my kids know that happens a lot. So just let's just say this right now. Let's be clear. Uh, I'll enter agreement with you if you enter one with me. I'll believe about 50% of what my kids come home and say about you if you only believe about 20% of what they say about me. Does that, does that, that work? Is that kind of, those of you who are teachers, that's the agreement that I try to make with, with the teachers. You don't believe everything you hear. I won't believe everything we hear. We're all happy, okay? Um, but I can do that. You know, I, and, and that can start, I can parent down a selfishness. Here's what I want to get done with my day. And so in order for me to get this done with my day, then I'm going to let my kids do this or I'm going to make my kids do this so I can get done with what I want to get done. I parent down a selfishness. I, I can do all of that and I do all of that. But is there a way for me to be free from that? Is there a way for you to be free from that? Is there something that, that we can uh, take about who God is and who he says we are that can free us up from parenting from fear, from parenting uh, from selfishness, from parenting uh, from pride, or, or whatever else it is that might drive our parenting? And I, and I believe there is. And we're going to find that today if you'll go with me to 1 John chapter 3. It's where we're going to start this morning. It's 1 John chapter 3. Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to see something that's true about God and that's true about us. And and as we grow in our understanding about what's true about us, it should shape and change and free us as we parent or if you're not a parent or whatever other areas that you seek to find identity in. Because that's what I'm doing 
when I parent out of fear, when I parent out of pride, when I parent out of selfishness. I'm wrapping myself up, my identity up in my kids. How they perform reflects on me, and I feel that weight. But I don't necessarily need to feel that weight. So look with me at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. This is the Apostle John, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John, which will be in, in just a minute. In 1 John chapter 3, he's writing, and he says this, See what sort of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children, and indeed we are. I'm going to stop there for a moment. See what sort of love that God has, the Father has given to us, that we would be called God's children. You know, there's, there's two places in the New Testament that reveal to us ways that God shows his love to us, ways that he dem- demonstrates his love. There are, there are explicit ways that the Bible says this is how God showed his love. One of them is in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, but God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One way that God shows his love for us is by sending Christ to die for us. The other way is what we see here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what sort of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. The other way that God explicitly, the Scripture says explicitly shows his love for us is that he calls us children. He calls us children. His love is poured out on sinners and he calls them children. We've got some questions we're going to have to answer about that. But look at verse 1 again. See what sort of love the Father has given to us. So before we answer questions about who is God's children, let's just look at this love that God pours out and answer a few questions about it. See, what John says is God gives us this love when he calls us children. He gives it. That, That means we don't earn it. That means there's nothing that we can do uh, performing-wise, behavior-wise. We can't earn any kind of credit with God where God is going to then be impressed by us and then say, therefore, I'm going to make you children. Nope, it's not that. Uh, There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing inside of us where God looks and he's searching the earth and and he looks inside of you and says, see right there, there's there's a little hint of good because after all, everybody's got good in them and that's why I'm going to call him Children, no, that's, that's not what John says. Uh, John says God has given us this love. He chooses to give us this love, but it's not based on anything that is found in you or me, anything that's good about us, nothing that we can say or do. There's nothing that we can do to purchase this kind of love. John says he gives this love. It is God's prerogative and he gives it. And he calls us God's children, and indeed we are. Now, it's easy for us to read over that. Yeah, God's children, especially if you've grown up in church, right? If, you, if you've been around church, if you've grown up in church, and you hear, yeah, we're all God's children, or yeah, God's children. I mean, you, you just kind of read over that. Children of God, yeah, that's who I am. I'm daughter of the king. I'm a, I'm a prince of the king, you know, whatever. You know, we just read over that. But I want you to stop for a moment and think about this. Look at what kind of love God has given us that he should call us children of God. God, 
God, the, the one who created all things, the one who merely spoke and things came into existence, the one by whom all things, the universe is being held together and sustained in all of its functioning and operation, the God who is above all things, above all circumstances, above all of our powers. Think about the most powerful person you can on this earth, and God far exceeds that. In fact, he is the one who gives that person power. The God who is, is above all, all things is the one, the very same God who calls sinners children. Children. Not peons, not minions, not, not little people, not, not slaves. Children. There's a, an affection found in being called a child of God. There's, a, there's an, a, an emotional uh, element to that that you and I tend to look over when we just read verses and we say, yeah, children of God, okay, blah, blah, blah. No, God calls sinners children. That's a great type of love. I mean, th- that is a love that you and I don't know. I mean, think about the, the deepest, most intimate love that you know here on this earth, whether it's with your spouse or a kid or 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 parent, or whoever that is, think about that. It does not compare to the type of love that God bestows on his children. But here's the question we've got to be asking. Who does God call children? Everyone? I mean, aren't we all God's children? I mean, have you heard that said? We're, We're all God's children? If someone says to you, well, we're all God's children, If they mean, well, we're all created by God, and therefore as God's creation, we're God's children. Okay, fine, but the Bible never says that. It doesn't speak like that. When the Bible speaks about God's children, it speaks about people who are in a covenant relationship with God. If you were to go and search your Bible for that phrase, children of God or sons of God, where it refers to people, people that God himself has created, what you will find is it shows up in covenant relationships. It's, it's used at least one time that I could find in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 14, where God refers to the people of Israel, people in, with whom God was in a covenant relationship with, who he had made uh, this covenant with, and it speaks of them as God's children. And then it shows up again in the New Testament where it speaks about God's children. So I don't really buy that phrase, um, we're all God's children. I don't. Um, you know, and so if someone says that to me, I hope that I have the grace and the tact in the moment to say, well, no, not, not true. Not true. Uh, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, we're all created by God, and so therefore we're all God's creation. And if, if by that you mean God's children, fine, I can, I can buy that. But I don't think that's the biblical language right? So then what do I do? What does the Bible say? So go with me to the Gospel of John. Go back toward the front of your New Testament to the Gospel of John, the fourth book in your, in your New Testament, chapter 1. Because the same author, the Apostle John, who just wrote in this letter to this church in First John, who says, see what great love the Father has given us that he has called us God's children, is going to answer the very question for us, who are God's children? Who does God call children? So the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And we're looking at verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 says this, But to all who received him, now we're speaking about Jesus, 
The light who has come into the world is what John has been saying. To all who received him, Jesus, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children. Verse 13 says, children not born by human parents or by human desire or a husband's decision, but by God. So John tells us, who are God's children? Who are the people that are called God's children who experience such great love that the Father has lavished upon them? It's those who have received Jesus. It's those who, John tells us, what does received mean? He tells us, it's those who believed in his name. So those who receive Jesus, those who believe in his name, we'll come back and talk about that in a moment, are the ones who Jesus has given the right to be called God's children. See, that kind of makes it more exclusive, right? That, that takes it from this idea of that we're all God's children because uh, we've all been created by God. I mean, that, that's, that's very close to we're all just part of Mother Earth right? Mother nature. I mean, that, that's, that's not distinct enough. That's not how the Bible separates us from the rest of creation. But the Bible would speak about us as humanity being uh, created above creation, of the rest of creation. We bear the image of God, and that is true. Every person, every person who's ever lived, who will ever live, bears the image of God. Whether you're atheist or not, you bear God's image. But you're not necessarily called a child of God. Okay, because John will tell us it's for all those who received him. Now, in John's gospel, he's just started out. He's talking about Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, he calls him the word. The word was with God in the beginning. The word was God in the beginning. So what John is doing there is he's saying, hey, Jesus is both God and he was with God. So he's God, but he's separate. There's a separateness in there. So he's talking about the Trinity that takes place, right? The, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three are God yet they're different persons. And John is explaining that this, this second person, he's calling him the Word. Other places in the Bible call him the Son of God. We know him by the name of Jesus. He says this one, he came into the world. He was the light of the world. He was the one who made the world. And he said when he came into the world to his very own, those who he created, his own didn't recognize him. His own did not receive him. But that's where verse 12 comes in, but all who did receive him. You see, when Jesus came into the world, yes, Jesus is the one who the Bible gives credit to for creation. All, all, of, all of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit were involved. But when it speaks specifically about the act of creation, Jesus is the one who's given the credit. That was his role, his responsibility. And so he created all things, and all things were created for him and by him. And it says, and he came into his creation. He entered into his creation creation. But also think about how Jesus came into his creation. He came in as a Jewish man or Jewish boy into a Jewish culture under the Jewish law. So he entered into a specific culture. He came to Jewish people. And as you read through the gospels, you'll see that the leaders of the Jewish people didn't receive him either. And so when John says he came to his own, not only is he talking about just he came to the very creation that he created, but he specifically came to those who had the promises. Those who, as they knew their Old Testament scriptures, they should have been looking for this one, this one that God had been promising for so many years. He came to his own. And those who God had a special covenant relationship with, those whom God had given these covenants and these promises, those whom God had revealed to that there was this man coming, this one who was going to triumph over Satan, they didn't receive him. 
But John says, but anyone who did receive him, anyone who does receive him, those are the ones who become, are given the right to be called children of God. So receive. John, John tells us what that means. See, he says you receive Jesus, and by receive, he means you believe in his name. Now, for us in our culture, that doesn't really help us much, does it? I mean, if you grew up around church, yes, you get that. Believe in Jesus' name. But we don't go around speaking like that today, do we? We don't go around saying, hey, uh, my name's Justin. Uh, I, I'm in charge of this project, uh, and I want you to just trust in my name. You'd think I'm a lunatic. You, you might make your next phone call might be to commit me to some, some hospital, right? Because who's this guy think he is? We don't speak like that. But here's what you got to understand. When the Bible speaks about the name of someone, oftentimes the name in the Bible represents the person. It re- represents the characteristics of that person or the things that that person does. And so when, when John says, uh, receive him or believe in his name, he's saying believe in who he is, those things that are revealed about Jesus, and those things that he did, those things that he came and he did. Believe in his name means to believe in Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he did come, he did die, for sinners, and he rose again. It, it, means, it means that. And so John says it's to those who receive Jesus, those who believe in his name, those who trust him for their salvation. It's to them that Jesus then gives the right to be called children of God. See, you don't get that right unless you receive Jesus, God's son. And, and, and as you receive Jesus, God's son, then you are brought into God's family. And this is what we call in, in the Bible as adoption. This is that, that, that doctrine. There's a, there's a big word, just means our belief. This is that doctrine of adoption that we don't talk about often. See, when we talk about getting saved, when we talk about placing your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, that's usually where we stop, for the forgiveness of sins. And that is great. And that is necessary. And that on its own is marvelous. I mean, think about this. If God were just simply to send Jesus to die for sinners and anyone who trusts in Jesus' death as the worthy sacrifice for their sin uh, and then believe that he rose from the dead for their new life, if that's all that God gives, that he forgave sinners, that'd be enough. Be more than enough. That'd be undeserved. It's, It's more than God was ever obligated to do. It's more than God ever needed to do. And all that, that, that God did was to forgive sins. And therefore, because we trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven, we can enter God's presence. If that's all we had, that'd be enough. God would have extended mercy. He'd be a benevolent God. Uh, he would have uh, shown us grace, and he would have demonstrated love, just like Paul said. He demonstrates his own love for us in sending Christ to die. That would have been enough. But God went, far beyond that. He went far beyond that. And that's what John is talking about here. He says, it's to those who received him. It's to those who believe in his name. See what great love that the Father has given to us that he would call us children. God didn't have to do that. See, that's, that's taking us now from we're just forgiven by God to now the same God that forgives sinners who believe in Jesus also now brings them close. He didn't have to do that. He was not obligated to do that. 
but it's because of his great love that God is, is, is pleased to say, I don't want you to just have your sins forgiven so that you can be in my presence. I want you to be in my family. And in order for that to happen, adoption has to take place. And so that's what John is talking about, that God adopts us when we place our trust in Christ, when we believe in his name, when we receive Jesus, we are not only forgiven of our sins, we are adopted into God's family. In the time that John was writing, in the Roman Empire, the uh, adoption practice was different than it is for us today. See, today, most most time when you read about adoption today, usually you're reading about young kids who are being adopted uh, by families, and those families may have other kids of their own, or maybe um, they, they've um, not had other kids of their own. But in the Bible, in the Roman times, when we read about the practice of adoption, what typically was taking place was a man who had no sons. A man who had no sons would adopt a son. Because if you didn't have a son in that society, that's who you passed on your inheritance to, your land, your money, uh, your job, your craft, whatever it is. You pass that down to your son. They were the ones who carried on your name and carried on your, 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 your inheritance. If you didn't have a son, uh, you were not legally require, uh, able to give it to your wife. You couldn't give it to your daughter. Because of the, of the situation and the, and the culture at that time, it required that it be passed down to a son. So when we read about adoption in the Bible and in Rome, what we see is men who did not have sons to pass on their inheritance to would wait till a young man was of an age where they had been tutored, they had been trained, uh, and they were of that adult age, probably around 12 or 13 or so, and then they would adopt that son into their family, and then that son would receive the inheritance. But, but get this, when they would adopt that son into their family, it doesn't matter, maybe it was a slave child that was in their house or maybe it was a, you know, a neighbor's slave child or whatever, that son would cut all ties with their original family and in being adopted into the man's family would take on the name of the man, would represent that man in his conduct and his behavior. He would reflect back on that man. He would have full rights as a son. If there were other daughters, siblings, he would be their brother. And this young boy would receive the full rights as a son in that family, representing that family, receiving all that goes with that family. And so when John talks about this adoption as sons that God uh, calls us children of God, he's saying God brings us into the family whereby we can cut all ties with our previous life, our previous family. Uh, now, that may or may not have some physical, earthly ramifications for some of us, uh, but, but what John is saying is you are changed in your identity. You used to be known this way, now you are now the child of God. You used to be what Paul would say in Ephesians, a children of wrath, but now you are a child of God. You used to belong to the kingdom of darkness, but now you belong to the kingdom of God. Your identity changes when God adopts you. And God adopts you when you receive Jesus. That's great love. In fact, I would venture to say that adoption, this thing that we're talking about, God adopting us, is far greater than God forgiving our sin. As great as that is. See, it's great that God forgives sins. It's necessary that God forgives sins. But when you consider that the God who forgives sins so that sinners can be reconciled to him and be in his presence goes beyond that and says, I want you to come close. I want you in my family 
so that now our relationship with him changes to where now we can approach God not as a judge looking to condemn us, but as a loving father, which is why Jesus says, how should you pray? You should pray our father because now you can approach him as a father. That's a far greater privilege than just having our sins forgiven, as necessary and as great as that is. It changes our identity. It changes who we are. It changes the platform from which we should live our lives. All right. What does that have to do with parenting? I parent from fear sometimes. I parent from pride sometimes. I parent in selfishness sometimes. All of that I do because I get my identity wrapped up in my kids. I get my identity wrapped up in how they behave, what others think of them, and therefore what then they think of me. And then I structure my parenting to control and manipulate that so that it looks good on me. I'm capable of doing that any given day, every day, right? How am I freed up from that? When I realize that God has adopted me as his child, my identity has changed. My identity now is not in how I parent. It's not in my kids. It's now in the fact that I'm a child of God. I'm in God's family. That's my identity. That's what now defines me. That's what gives me value, gives me worth, all of which I would look for if my kid misbehaves and you think poorly of me. Or, or if my kid doesn't go as far as I'd like him to go or her to go in their activities. I mean, this is, this is some of the ways that we in our society uh, find our identity in our kids, right? We live vicariously through them. They live out the dreams that maybe we never got to because they came along, right? Um, you know, so we put them in the activity that we loved or that was our favorite pastime. And so then we, we put them in activi- activity and then we get them a private coach and then we give them private lessons and then we get them on certain teams and then all of that so that they can perform well. And that's not bad, okay? I'm not saying that's wrong. It becomes wrong if our motivation in doing that is because we want them to go as far as possible so that it looks good on me. We want them to go as far as possible so that I can be known because of them. That's when our identity has been wrapped up in our kids in that way. Uh, We parent from, from selfishness or from fear, fear that, man, if I discipline my kids, they're not gonna think I'm their friend and they're not gonna talk to me then when things are really going on. And so when our kids then speak disrespectfully to us or disobey us, if we're parenting from fear because, hey, our identity is wrapped up in that kid there and I want to make sure that I'm that kid's friend as well, if we parent from that platform, we're finding our identity in that kid. But if we, are, we understand that, hey, I'm a child of God, I've, I've received Jesus, I have believed in his name, my identity is not found in how that kid behaves, my identity is not found in how that kid speaks to me, whether that kid speaks to me, it's found in my relationship with God. Then I'm freed up to not parent by fear. I don't have to become uh, trapped by their negotiations. I don't have to give in. I don't even have to reason with my kids. There are times where I'm able to just say, because I said so, right? Uh, I don't have to negotiate and say, well, if you will do this, then I will. I don't have to do that. 
I'm freed up to parent them and, and parent them in a way that points them toward the Lord, that points them in the best way possible for their good. I'm freed up to do that because my identity is now not wrapped up in my kid. I'm, I'm freed up to not parent in pride because you know what? My kids will embarrass me and it won't be the last time. And many of you are sitting there going, yep, my kids embarrassed me, okay? I'm headed for a lifetime of embarrassment. I just know that, all right? That doesn't mean my identity is wrapped up in my kid. If I can continue to grow and understand that my identity is I'm a child of God because I have received Jesus, that defines me first and foremost. I'm free to parent from that. So whatever decisions my kid makes, embarrassing or not, and those will be hard to walk through, my identity is not wrapped up in my kid. And so I'm free to parent them in those moments in a way that points them toward the gospel, not toward my pride. I'm free to parent them in a way that points them toward the Lord in hopes that in his timing, the Lord would draw them to him, open their hearts so that they might believe in Jesus, receive the spirit by which change comes. Because otherwise, all I'm gonna do my whole life is try to teach them how to behave when there's really no change inwardly. My deepest prayer is that my kids accept Christ so that they receive the spirit by whom God then changes us. Because otherwise, I'm just teaching them to be moral. I'm just teaching them to behave well. I'm just teaching them how to be good. And I don't want to just teach them how to be good, how to behave well. I want them to know God. And I want God to change them so that as he changes them, he starts to form in them the image of his son. I can't do that. But if I understand that I've been adopted by God, I'm called his child, I'm freed up to parent him that direction. So it means, it also means that if my child never accepts Christ, my identity is not in that child not accepting Christ. Do I want them to accept Christ? Absolutely I want them to accept Christ. Is it a guaranteed thing? No. And there are some of you who know that all too well. But if my kid grows up and never accepts Christ, regardless of how, how much I've tried to point one of them, all of them toward the Lord, no matter how much I've put before them the gospel, no, much I, no matter how much and how well I may have modeled that for them, if they don't believe, my identity is still not in that child. Will I be heartbroken? Absolutely. Will I continue to pray for them? Absolutely. But I don't have to parent out of fear. I trust God to do what he can do alone. And that's to change hearts, to convict sinners of sin, of which my kids are, of which your kids are, right? Kids are born sinners. All of us are. It's hard to believe when they're 12 days old, but as soon as they get about six months old, you start to see it, right? When they're six years old, there's no doubt in your mind, right? As a parent, when I understand that I am a child of God, I'm free to parent as a child of God. And that frees me up from having to revolve my life, my world, unnecessarily around my kids. Now, what I'm not trying to do here is to knock you if you're busy, not trying to knock you if you do have your kids in those kind of activities or sports or, or um, different clubs. Or, that's not where I'm going there. What I'm challenging you to do, parents, first, is check your heart. Why are they in there? And how are you viewing their involvement in there? 
Are you wrapped up in their activities? Are you wrapped up in their life? Are you parenting in such a way that you're trying to make sure your identity is secured? If that's where you are, that's where I'm, where I'm saying, if you understand that if you've received Jesus, you're a child of God, as you grow in an understanding that your identity now has changed, that's where it's found. Your value, your worth has changed. And it's all based on you being a child of God. You're freed up to parent in a way that points them toward the gospel, not out of fear. Now, if you're not a parent this morning, uh, this is something that still applies to you, to you because reality is we all seek our, our identity in something. We're all looking for our identity in something. We all seek out value. We all seek out worth. We all want to be known. And so we seek it out in different things. It could be a relationship. If only I could be in a relationship with that guy or with that girl, then all of a sudden I'm elevated and I'm known as whatever you're known as. Probably best not to go there. Um, or, or it could be in my husband, my wife, my relationship with my husband and my wife. If it's good, then my identity's found in that. But what if it's bad? What if I'm divorced? What if, what if I'm widowed? Or All of that changes. If you base your identity in the relationship and the relationship ends, what happens to your identity now? Or if, you're, if you're relation, or your, your relationship with someone is what defines who you are, what happens when that relationship starts to tell you you're someone different? Starts to tell you you're uh, unworthy, not valuable. And they tell you that maybe not in explicit words, but in the way they treat you and the things they do to you. If that's where your identity is found, your identity is about to be wrecked. Uh, some of you who maybe uh, are not married yet, your identity is found in, if I can only get married. If I can only be married. I've been there. I mean, I remember when, when my friends started to get married and all of a sudden my friend pool started to get younger and younger and younger. You remember that? Because all of a sudden, your peers are getting married off. You can't hang out with them anymore if you're single because they got, they got their husband or their wife now. And so what do you got to do? You got to go to the next rung down, <laughs> the people who aren't married yet. And so your friend pool gets younger. And I can remember thinking, man, if I could just get married, if I can just get married, then all of a sudden I'm elevated. Maybe that's where you find your identity. You're a child of God. If you have received Jesus, if you've believed in his name, you are defined, you are valued, you are worthy because you are a child of God and that is based on nothing of you, nothing that you ever did, but simply because God chose to do that. That doesn't change. That doesn't change. So there's things we seek our identity in, careers, school, degree, um, you know, the right type of job, you name it, we can fit it in there. What I want you to hear me say this morning is if you receive Jesus, if you believe in his name, if you trust him for salvation, that Jesus came, lived a righteous life, died as a righteous man in the place of unrighteous people, that's all of us, and then rose from the dead, if you trust that, then God not only saves you, forgives your sins, but he adopts you, he brings you in, he brings you close. That changes your identity and that frees you up from seeking it out and anything else. If you're a parent this morning and maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, maybe you don't consider yourself a Christ follower, um, I'm not saying that you can't be a great parent. You'd probably be a better parent than some, some Christians, right? I, I'm not saying that if you don't believe in Jesus, that you are a poor parent. You can very well be a good parent. You can even be a great parent if you've never received Jesus. You can have good kids, 
teach them to be well-mannered, teach them to respect authority, teach them to be good citizens of society. Uh, you, you can have kids that graduate from college or get good. I mean, you can do all of that. You can be a good parent. I'm not saying that if you don't believe in Jesus, you can't be a good parent. But what I am saying is, if you've not been adopted into God's family, your identity is not secure. It's not secure. And you are, like all of us, whether we've trusted in Christ or not, you are going to be looking for that identity to be defined by something or by someone. Maybe your kids, it may not be your kids. One of the things that God offers sinners, because John says, to all who received him, anybody who receives Christ, he gives the right to be called children of God. That's available for everyone. So are you here this morning and, and you've not trusted in Christ? You don't consider yourself a Christian? You don't consider yourself a Christ follower? And, and maybe you're at that point where you're saying, well, I, I want that. I, I, I long to know that my identity is secure. This, this love that you're talking about, about God adopting and bringing people in close to his family, I want to know that. You can. You can. All God requires of us is that we believe. All he requires is that we trust and what Christ has done. That you stop trusting. So this is where the Bible says repent and believe. Repenting is changing your mind about what you believe about God. It means it's taking your, your trust and whatever it is, whether that's my kids, uh, whether that's my career, whether it's a relationship, you take it off of that and you shift it and you put it all on Christ. You've changed your mind about what you believe about God. That God sent Christ to die from and you trust that belief. You trust it. Uh, that is a heart thing. That is an inward thing. That is something you can do here now. It's something you can do later. Uh, it's something if you want to uh, pray a prayer. There's a great prayer in the bulletin that you maybe got on the way out. Uh, prayer does not save you. The prayer is the way to express faith. It's just a tool. Okay. So if, you, if you're someone who you've never prayed the sinner's prayer, hey, that doesn't mean you're not saved. If you've believed if God has opened your heart and you have believed, you're a child of God. But what I want to say to you this morning, your identity is not found in your parenting. It is not defined by not being a parent. Maybe there's some of you here who you long to be a parent and you just can't for whatever reason. Your identity is not found in that. Your identity is not found in a child who's rebelled. If you've received Christ, your identity is found as a child of God. And that frees you up from pursuing anything else. So Father, um, parenting is one of those tough things uh, that you have entrusted to us. I mean, how is it that you entrust little lives to us with the great responsibility of pointing them to you and modeling before them a relationship with you? And yet, God, I'm not naive to, to think that that's even the case for everyone here. But what I do pray, God, this morning is that you would help us uh, first, for the parents, I God, I pray that you will grow us in our understanding if we have received Jesus, our understanding that we are adopted as your child. Show us what that means for us, show us how it changes us, and then free us up so that we don't have to parent from fear, from anxiety, from selfishness, from pride, from whatever it is that controls us. Instead, we can parent with a view toward you and a view of the gospel. God, for all of us, we all seek our identity in something. Even if we've already received Jesus, there are times where we still, because we fail to understand and to grasp that you have brought us in to your family and called us children. We fail to grasp that, and so God, we seek it somewhere else.
Would you, in these last few moments we have together, and then for the rest of the day and the rest of this week, would you pour upon us, would you remind us of how you've adopted us because we've received Christ? That you chose to give us and show us that type of love, not because of anything we've ever done or ever will do, but simply because you are love. And God, for those here this morning who they don't know you uh, in a relationship like that, they, they are scrambling to find their identity. Uh, they know there's something more, but maybe they, they've not trusted in Christ. They've not received him. God, I pray that today would be that day for them, that you would open their heart to respond to the gospel, that they would understand their great need for a Savior, and then grow in their understanding of your great love shown to us, not only in sending Christ to die, but also then drawing us close and adopting us in. God, help us. We all need your spirit to guide us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. With that, let me uh, dismiss us. God didn't leave us lost, searching for identity. Instead, he defined our value and our worth. It's not based on anything you've ever done or ever will do. It's based solely on God's love. And he chose you to be children when you received Christ. So go and live as children of your God. Do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.